Our scripture reading for this morning is from John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Simon entered, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what you need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. Let's pray as we begin, and then we'll get right down to work. Father, we want to posture ourselves as needy kids before you again this morning and just tell the truth about ourselves. That's exactly who we are. We know you're, we are your kids. We know you love us and keep us. Sometimes we forget how needy we are, and so, Father, remind us of our needy, neediness, and we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in us collectively, but also in our hearts individually. Uh, we're hungry. We may have been feasting on other people or things trying to satisfy our souls apart from you, but we're all hungry, and so we pray that you would give us today our daily bread. We pray that you would forgive us 
our trespasses and lead us to forgive those who have trespassed against us. Father, we pray that you would lead us away from temptation and deliver us from evil. You know how quick our feet are to run. And we pray that you would remind us this morning that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory so we can rest. We're not, we don't have a kingdom to maintain. Some of us have been trying to maintain our own personal kingdoms really hard this week, and it's exhausting. So I pray that you would rescue us from that. We don't need glory. We can be free from that. And we don't need to project power. We can be free from that too. I pray that you would do these things for us, uh, for your namesake, and out of kindness for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And we should pray we're not the only ones gathering this morning. Um, so we pray for Zion down the road, my friend Josh, and my friend William, and his family at uh, Calvary Church of God in Christ. And we think of uh, Maranatha down the road and Pastor Ed and different expressions of your family, but we all need the same thing. And so we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done, that you would be present in power wherever your family is gathered this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's do it. So John 13, right? We're crushing John. We're, we're crushing it. It's almost Easter, and I think we're going to wrap it up uh, right about Easter time. So John 13, we had the whole thing read for us. Heather, I love when you read for us. I don't know if any of you guys subscribe to, I think it's Dwell. Is that the name of the app? The Bible app? And you can pick your own ambient music or no music. You can pick your own voice from anywhere around the world, a man or a woman, accents, languages. Heather, your voice belongs in the Dwell app reading scripture. <laughs> I have always felt that way. Thank you for reading for us. So John 13, if we're going to wrap our heads around what's happening in John 13, you probably need four images in your brain. Um, I'm a simple man, and uh, I still like crayons, so I prefer images over words. So four images, you need a doorpost, you need a basin, a towel, something like that. You need, uh, before the basin and the towel, you need a snake. You need a snake in there. Um, so we got the doorpost, we got the snake, we got a basin with a towel, and then a heart, I think, will suffice for our fourth image. Um, you can get more elaborate than that if you want. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a simple man. So the first one, uh, we're kind of introduced to four really key things in John chapter th uh, 13. So the doorpost, what's that all about? You notice in verse 1, it says, now before the feast of the Passover. So this chapter brings us into that feast. And if you're not familiar with Jewish custom... The Passover was a celebration, a meal, uh, looking back to a day in which the entire nation was enslaved in Egypt, and God shows up in power and sets his people free. But when God came close, people needed to be protected from his holiness and his justice. And so he instructed his people, I want you to, to kill a lamb. He was calling them to kind of a radical action, not so radical in that day, animal slaughter was a regular uh, mainstay really for religious practice globally back then. So that piece wasn't too odd. But kill a lamb, but then I want you to spread the blood on the doorpost, and that blood is going to symbolize that you have received my word, you're believing my word, and you're exercising faith in it. So in seeing the blood, the angel of death, right, would pass over, and that family would be spared. So Passover uh, is a reminder that they were saved through the blood of the lamb and that God rescued them from slavery and brought them out. And that's what ha is happening in, in John 13. They're celebrating the Passover meal. 
very significant, and the disciples would have had no idea what was going on, but the very celebration that they were sharing, they were actually sitting there with the true and better Passover lamb. So all Passovers previously, was kind, they were kind of a one-off. They would, be, they would be good for a day or good for a night, if you will, but Jesus, the ultimate Passover lamb, was about to die on the cross and on their behalf, and his blood would protect them and us forever, a one-time sacrifice to cover all rebellion for all those who would repent and believe, okay? So we're at the Passover. You need the door frame. Now you need a snake, because the next thing we're introduced to is this, uh, the reality that Judas is going to break bad, right? Verse 2, during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to portray him, that is Jesus. Now you notice that theme surfaces all through chapter 13. So we have the Passover feast going on. We have kind of the first time we're introduced to the fact that it's going to be Judas who betrays, and we see that weave all the way through this narrative. And then two centerpieces, the towel and the basin and the heart. Two key teachings for us as Jesus' family, the, the towel and the basin, verse 13, right? He, you know he washes their feet, and then in verse 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Now, we read over that in our modern day, and we're like, that's nice. Jesus washed their feet. What a, their feet. What a kind, kind man. What a kind leader. Go, Jesus. Guys, that was so radically countercultural. The lowest of the low of the house servants. The, the boot, if you will. The one who just got to the fleet. That person's washing feet. Nobody else. Nobody else. None of the other servants are washing feet. Never would a household member wash the feet. Never in a million years would your rabbi or your leader, your sensei, your teacher, the senior ranking one, never. It doesn't happen. But guys, it just goes to show the countercultural realities are to, are to exist in our father's family. It is an upside down uh, reality in here. It is not a top down family. And Jesus sets the example for us from the beginning. So you got the towel and the basin. Then one more symbol, the heart. You read in verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Guys, depending on what stream of Christianity you come from, you have come to believe that Christians should be known by fill in the blank. Conservative politics right theology, social conservatism, not doing this, doing that. Fill in the blank. That's right there for us very clearly, though. What does Jesus say? You will be known by your love for each other. This is a special family kind of love, and it's new because Jesus is saying, in the same way that I love you, and he was about to demonstrate the way in which he loved us, the extent to which that love would take him, and that is the kind of love that should characterize our family as well. Okay, so if you can wrap your head around those four pieces, you have chapter 13. You got your door frame, you've got your snake or whatever image you want to use for Judas breaking bad, you have your towel and your basin, and you have your heart, the two driving realities that are supposed to shape the culture of Jesus' family.
But I think the big idea in all of chapter 13, at least what I came away with this week, was right here. Jesus perfectly cleans, pulls close, and patiently keeps all those who are his or all those who belong to him. He loves us to the end. That's my, if you can pick a favorite verse in any part of the, like this is my favorite verse for, the, for, for this chapter. The end of verse one, it just simply says, having loved his own who were in the world. Guys, you read that, right? He loved them to what? To what? To what? Boy, we don't believe that, do we? Or we just got out of bed. Guys, that's the best news you can get today. To the end. To the end, he's gonna bring you home. You're going to be okay. He is not going to let you go. Jesus loves his own to the end. Now, we talked about four images. You're like, okay, who features most prominently here? Obviously, Jesus. He's the, whole, the, the hero of the whole book. Uh, but this chapter's gotta belong to Judas, right? Or the Passover, or this new commandment, or a towel and a basin. No, I think those are all supporting features, and I think Peter features most prominently in this chapter. And uh, it's not my title, but if I were to give it a title like this, uh, many of you are in love with the show that ran for six or seven years, This Is Us. All right, a few fans in here. Um, That would be an appropriate title for this chapter, Peter Embodies Us, here. Now, as kids, there are questions that we ask probably mostly, now I'm not a counselor or a psychologist, but probably asking them unconsciously or subconsciously all the time, maybe sometimes consciously. Questions of acceptance, am I accepted? Of affirmation, am I approved of? Am I affirmed of love? Am I loved? As we grow older, we have questions related to guilt and shame. Can I be forgiven? Am I forgiven? Am I clean, to use the vocabulary out of John 13? Am I accepted? Am I loved? Am I kept? Am I approved? Am I affirmed? And now, as kids, we have all of these questions. As we grow through life and we encounter relationship with God, we bring every one of those questions into our relationship with the Father. Every one of them. Every one of them, whether we know it or not. And what we see in Peter in this chapter is those questions coming to the surface in very raw ways, but man, I'm telling you, in a way that you'll see with me, Peter, this is us, guys. This is us, and our heart will be on display. So here are maybe three verbs that we can kind of anchor our journey through John 13 with, and with each verb, there comes a question, okay? So we're gonna see a washing and asking and love, or loving. And so as it relates to being washed, Peter's question your question and my question, am I clean? Is it possible? Am I really accepted? And we're gonna talk about asking Jesus a question and, the, and the, the consideration there, we're gonna see his family gathered around the table. Some of them are close to Jesus and others are not. I'm curious, where are you seated at that table? Are you close? And here we have questions of authentic relationship. Is God real? Is God an idea or is he a person? Is the father a person? Is Jesus a person? Or am I just, is this just religion? Is it just an idea? What am I doing here? Am I actually a son of somebody? Am I actually adopted into a family? Like, is this just a game we're playing? Or is this really real? Am I close? Or is this this distant thing with an angry God and I appease him and I keep him happy? Am I close? Am I kept? 
What is Christianity? Do I have to prove something to earn my place in the family, to earn my keep in the family? What if I really screw it up? Will God let me go? Does he have enough better kids out there? Am I kept? Okay. Wash, am I clean? Ask, am I close? Love, am I kept? Let's start with the first one. Wash, am I clean? Um, really wanted to visualize this one for you. I really did. But as I grow older, I'm very slowly learning to listen to key people in my life, namely my wife. And uh, I had a picture ready to go. When I was a kid, man, uh, my cousin Nick was born maybe nine months, I don't know, not, not, not too much before I was, very close in age. And we were both the size of about a frozen Thanksgiving turkey, like as babies. We were just all that. We were maybe two turkeys each. We were big. My grandmother in her log cabin had this side-by-side sink, right? It was orange, 70s orange. I, th- I think it's still the same sink. Anyway, that's where we bathed. That's where Nick and I bathed, side-by-side, probably right up through junior high, right? Just <laughs> jumped right in the sink and took a bath. So I had a photo. I won't tell you how old we were when the photo was taken. I wanted to show it to you. It's probably appropriate that we're not looking at it right now. That was my, my wife's recommendation. Probably my mom's too. You know, it's funny, as kids, and you're, some of you are living this out now, um, many of our children do not want to take a bath or a shower, right? You'd think you're about to waterboard the kid or drown him or something, right? So stay away! But then once a kid gets a taste and like realizes they're not going to die when they bathe, it may take a couple years to figure that out, but eventually they're like, put me in grandma's sink, baby. Give me more. Check this out. This is exactly what happens with Peter. No joke. Jesus gets up from the table, takes off his outer garment, so he's adopting the posture of a servant. Um, He's got a towel. He's got a basin. Gets down to wash their feet. Verse 6, he comes to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, Jesus, you are washing my feet? Right, that surprise that we talk about. This would have been so unexpected. Never would have happened. So Peter's expressing surprise. Jesus answered him, look, Peter, what I'm about to do, you you don't understand. Remember that verse last week, our new life verse? Um, At first, I had no clue. But then eventually, but when, right, we come to see and then we, we come to understand later. So here's that principle playing out again. Peter's got no clue what's going on. But afterward, Peter, you're going to understand. So what's Peter say? Here I am. Here I am at three. Peter said to him, you will never wash my hair, Dad. You will never wash my feet. You'll never give me a bath. And Jesus answered him, dude, or Peter, if I don't wash you, you got no place in this family. Now, we're tracking the whole way. We've had this conversation a million times. Maybe this is where we part ways with Jesus. It's probably not the best approach with your kid, right? Like, they're not taking the bath. Look, son, you don't take this bath right now. You have no place in this family. You're done. So maybe, maybe not there. So Simon Peter said to him, all right, so now we, have, now we have a different extreme here, right? Peter's like, Lord, not my feet only but my hands and my head, that just figure of speech for put me all underwater and hold me there and clean me up. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash, Peter. You're not really tracking 
what I'm saying, except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was about to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. Guys, Peter represents all of us so well in at least two expressions of our relationship to Jesus. There is a season that we are in where we are in denial that we need a bath. You will. Now, that denial could be there for a couple reasons. It could be pride. I'm a religious person. I have kept the law. I am good. I am right. So to, for you to say that I am that I am dirty and need to be clean is insulting to the life that I have lived. Could be pride. Could just be ignorance. We don't understand the depth of our rebellion against God. It could be a number of things, but there is a season in our relationship where we look at Jesus and we say, no, absolutely not. I don't want the bath. So we can relate to Peter there. Now there's a second expression that we see Peter as Jesus begins to understand. He's not really catching Jesus' point. But what he thinks is going on is he, he, he needs to be washed all over again in order to identify with Jesus and be right, to him. So, right with him. So he says, wash me again. And the idea is give me a bath now and give me a bath again tomorrow and give me a bath the day afterwards. And it's almost as if Peter is expressing this sense of insecurity that we can all relate to, that what Jesus did initially to wash us or make us clean was good for about 24 hours, but insufficient for the long haul, and I need to be washed again in order to be right with him, and cleaned all the way again in order to be right with him. And so we see these two extremes, no, don't give me a bath too. Man, I, I can never get out of the bathtub, I'm so dirty, I don't know that I'll ever be clean. I don't know about you guys, but I can totally relate to that second piece. And that's why from my earliest memory forward, every night that I thought of it, I prayed some kind of prayer to God that went like, I don't really know what I said to you last night. I don't know if you received it. I probably said something wrong. My heart, I probably didn't mean it all the way. Um, so I'm going to pray it again right now. I'm going to get back in the bathtub so that I can be right with you again. There's insecurity and an insufficient understanding of the work that Jesus does to clean us once and for all and to make us right with him relationally. And so we pray again, and we pray again. And then it becomes this tragic pattern of religious expression where we reject what Jesus has done, and our religion takes on the form of self-bathing. And we scrub, and we scrub, and we scrub until the skin comes off so that we can prove how clean we are. Look how much I love you. I never get out of the bathtub. As Jesus said, if you confess your sin, I'm faithful and just to forgive you. And to what? To cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Guys, some of you this morning, through Peter's example, are simply being called to rest and Jesus is looking at you, and your question is, am I clean, John? You don't understand the extent of what I have done. There's no way I can be forgiven. There's no way I can ever be clean. And the only words that you need to hear from Jesus this morning are found right here in his conversation with Peter, where Jesus says in verse 10, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but what? He is completely clean. 
friends, brothers, sisters, if you have confessed your sin, if Jesus has cleansed you, he looks at you, the Father looks at you, and this is what he says, you are clean. So to our question, am I clean? Jesus says, yes, you are. You are pure, you are clean, you are forgiven, you are made right. We, there is nothing you have to do to prove. You are clean. Rest. Stop scrubbing. Stop proving. Rest. You're clean. Now, when our family gathers, we always have friends among us who may be not yet in the family, and I just want you to see as a friend, I want to gently show you this in verse 11. Jesus said he knew who was going to betray him. I'm not suggesting your betrayal is about to rise to the level of Judas. It's not what I'm saying, but look at what he says. He says, not all of you are clean. So family, not all of you in this room are clean. Some of you are not clean because you've been in grandma's sink, but you're doing all the scrubbing. It's just religious exercise. You're just trying to prove your own cleanliness. And some of you are not clean simply because you have never confessed your sin to Jesus. And some of you in his family are actually harboring unconfessed sin. And the invitation to you this morning is to confess your sin, specifically name it, own it, bring it to Jesus, and receive the cleansing that only he can give. But you're sitting here asking the question, am I clean? Jesus would say, yeah, son, you're clean. Yes, yeah, girl, you're clean. Am I clean? Yes, I am. In Jesus. Okay, am I clean? Second question, am I close? I love this piece of the conversation. It's almost always overlooked. We're sitting at the table. Verse 21 says, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. So he's just kind of been rehashing the Judas thing again. Um, deeply troubling. It's one of the 12. It's a, a man that has shared life with them for the last three years. Jesus is deeply troubled because he knows what's next. It says the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Isn't that crazy? If Judas is a snake all along, you got 12 guys living together and for three years. Most of you in this room have either deployed, or if you've not deployed, you've, you've been in a college dorm, or you've shared life intimately with a small group of people for a long time. You know the snake. Three years, guys. That's like a three-year deployment. Nobody knew who the snake was. So that disciple, oh, no, no, here we go, verse 24. So here we go, here's Peter again. Peter motions to him, um, sorry, I got back up again. Verse 23, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, we've come to know that person is John, probably referring him to himself that way as the author of this book in, it's modesty, guys, he's not bragging, like he's not holding it over the other guys. We don't know. He's reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, right? So Peter gives the, 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 the eye signal, the subtle arm, hand, whatever signal. They, he, gets, he gets John's attention. He's like, you'll ask him who he's talking about. <laughs> Crazy for Peter's personality, right? Peter normally blurts out, Jesus, is it Philip? It's probably John. That's why he's always talking about how he's the favorite, right? Like Peter just says what's on his mind. This is kind of crazy. And Jesus says to John, not to the whole group, it's he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, 
go do quickly. Now, no one, at the, look, no one at the table knew why he said that to him. They didn't know John had asked the question, so they don't really know what's going on with Jesus and Judas. They thought it had something to do with the money bag or buying more food or giving, giving stuff to poor people. All right, this might seem a little unorthodox, but I could not get away from this idea in this, in this paragraph all week long. Guys, some of us are really anemic in our faith. We have a profession of Christianity. We, we would, our dog tags might say Protestant or Catholic, or maybe you got real specific and put your denomination on there. I was so Baptist when I became a Marine. Baptist was on my dog tag. It wasn't enough to, Protestant was too liberal, probably not even seated at the table. <laughs> Baptist with a capital B, dog, right? So a lot of us have a profession like that. But there's a lot of weakness. or there, It's not personal. There's, there's, we know it. We feel it. Like I'm just kind of stumbling through words right now, but you're sitting there feeling like I am describing you. And what we see in Peter, guys, I think expresses this fear or this insecurity around this idea of being close and it's so interesting that Peter would look to John and say, ask Jesus for me, ask him. And the reason I think it's so telling is I think that most of us, for most of our Christian life, for many of us having been raised in a church and having survived years in a youth group and now, now being young and trying to figure things out and going through seasons of deconstruction and all the things that we're doing, and our lives have been spent being Peter at the table trying to make eye contact with somebody else or to catch somebody else's ear so that they would ask Jesus for us or would speak to us on behalf of Jesus all the while you could just be asking him yourself. And we think we have to catch somebody else's ear all the while you have Jesus' ear. You use discreet eye contact to get somebody else's attention all the while Jesus is looking right at you and inviting you to speak. And I think it would be super easy not to catch this subtle piece of the story with all of the big things going on that deserve our attention. But fam... Many of us in this family are struggling and weak right now. And one of the reasons why is because we're seated at the table with Jesus, but we're, we, are, we are working eye contact and conversation with everyone else around the table except Jesus himself. And we wonder, are we close? And in a sense, we're not. But really, we are. We're closer than we realize. We are so close. In verse 26, we read that Jesus answered John, right? Jesus answered John. I think. Where'd it go? Jesus answered, right there. John asked the question, verse 26, the next two words, Jesus answered. Guys, Jesus would have answered if Philip asked or Nathaniel asked. He would have answered if Peter asked. He probably would have answered if Judas asked. He would answer you if you asked. Just ask. You're close. Now, y'all are way more cultured than I am, right? Here's a picture that I never saw in my trailer park. Um, da Vinci, right? 
Maybe you're not more cultured than I am. I don't know. All right, hold on, hold on. So there's this guy, Da Vinci. He's a little bit of an artist. <laughs> wow, guys. Go back to bed. All right, Da Vinci. So he paints this Last Supper. So there, it's a masterpiece, right, Nick? Masterpiece? Some would see. Some would say that. Some would. Now, this is digitally rendered. The colors are enhanced, all that. So there are some cultural issues with this. They wouldn't have been sitting up at a table like Westerners. would have been reclining around. So there, we could pick it apart if we wanted to. I don't want to do that this morning. Uh, I want to make one point with it, but I want to show you what's super interesting. Do you know where Peter is in the picture based on da Vinci's rendering of it? Do you know which one? He's the old man with the beard leaning in to the blonde, the, uh, the, the blonde locks flowing. He's got a blue shirt on. Do you see what's in his hand? This is Peter right here, baby. Do you see what he's got? He's got his hand on the knife. He's waiting for the answer to the question. That's Peter, right? Maybe Da Vinci got that. Guys, the problem is we're all seated at this table just like Da Vinci painted it. And you visualize yourself as anywhere but right next to Jesus. That's not how our Father's table works. If you're at the table, you are seated right next to Jesus. If you are at the table... He's making eye contact with you. If he's at the table, he, his ear is tuned to your voice. If you are at the table, everyone in the family sits right next to Jesus. He is present with you. You don't need somebody else's eye contact. You don't need somebody else's voice. You don't need a mediator. Peter didn't need John. Ask Jesus. We celebrate the Lord's Supper every week to remind ourselves, but it's not just a reminder. Jesus is present with us in the moment as we participate in the Lord's Supper each week. He's present with you. Are you close? Jesus says, yes, you are close. You're closer than a brother. There is always room at the Father's table, and once you're seated at the table, you yourself are next to Jesus. There are not favored seats. There are not... Um, there are not categories of seating. As a pastor, I don't have more of Jesus, and Jesus doesn't think more of me, guys. It's not how our family works. You're at the table. You're next to Jesus. You have his eyes. You have his voice, and you don't need John. How convenient that Peter asked John. You don't need John, guys. You don't need me. You don't need your missional community leader. I mean, you do, but you need each other. You get what I'm saying. Just ask Jesus. Put your phone, turn it off, throw it in the trash, put it in your dresser drawer, close your computer, turn off the music, go get alone, let it be quiet. God's word, a pencil, a paper, just talk to Jesus. He answered John, he would have answered Judas, and he will answer you, okay? All right, last question. We got, am I clean? Yes, I am, I am clean. Am I close? You betcha, I'm at the table. Now am I kept? Here's our final question. Verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Son, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered Peter right in the eye. He said, Peter, will you really? 
You're really going to lay down your life for me. Now imagine Peter in this moment. He just called out in front of all, all his guys. All the, all the boys are there. Probably others. You're really going to do that, Peter? Because listen, I need to tell you something. Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And Peter goes silent. He's crushed. You know how he's crushed? We know he's crushed. Turn this page. Turn this page. Turn this page. That's all conversation right there. In the upper room, we know it as. The upper room discourse, if you will. You know who doesn't talk again the whole time? You know how out of character that is? Everybody else talks. Philip hardly ever talks. He talks. Judas, parenthetically, not named Iscariot. Poor guy. He talks. Right? Lots of people talk. Peter does not. You know the next time we see Peter doing anything or saying anything in here? They're in the garden. Jesus is getting arrested. You know what Peter does? Pulls out his sword and chops an ear off. You don't think he's crushed and responding, responding with a visceral, gut level, I'm going to prove my love to you right now, Jesus. You, you don't accept my words, accept my, like, watch this. But you don't hear him say another word until he's around the fire. And what does he do? Denies Jesus three times, just like Jesus said he would, Okay. Now listen, you don't think Peter's rocked? If you were to turn to chapter 21, the last chapter, it just, it'll be on the screen for you. There's one verse, I just want to show you this. This is verse 7. The, the disciples are out fishing, and they're, they're sucking at it. They're not getting anything. A guy shows up on the shore. He's like, do it this way. And John looks at Peter and says, you know, that's Jesus, right? Like nobody else is picking it up yet. He's like, dude, like Jesus is, there he is. Look at, what, look at what Peter does. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, right, culturally. And what's he do? He threw himself into the sea, guys. He had to get back to Jesus. He, he was crushed. His soul was laid bare. He had to get back. And when he got back, you know the conversation. They fry some fish on the beach, and Jesus restores him with that same conversation about love. And everybody thinks Peter's being tested. No, Peter's being affirmed by Jesus. I love you. As some of you need to throw yourself in the sea this morning. Your heart has been laid bare. Look, I was thinking about it as we sang that song to open. We sang together. We sang the words, though the storms may come and the winds may blow. What? I will remain steadfast. Yeah, how'd that work out for you this week? My life was more like Jesus' conversation with Peter. Are you really going to love me that way, Peter? Like, really? How about before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times? You know what the difference is between you and Peter? No rooster. That's it. Well, some of you live kind of rural out here, and you got roosters all around you. You want to kill, like, every morning. But no rooster. Guys, we're Peter. This is us, okay? Uh, Linnea and I were foster parents for um, a couple years. Seems like a lifetime ago now, uh, back when we lived in New York. And, um, man, we didn't have kids yet, which is crazy. You would think they wouldn't allow that. But they did. <laughs> those poor, like, those, like, all kidding aside, those poor kids. Um, and so as a foster parent, you want to create a nurturing environment, right? You want to you show love. You want to you 
create a sense of stability, of affirmation, of acceptance, of enduring love. But there was one young lady who was, you know, we had some babies, but this one girl who was old enough to know that even though this is a nurturing environment, you're not my forever dad, right? So you can be kind to me, but you're not going to love me forever. And guys, that is the insecurity we need to address that many of us carry into our relationship with the Father. We relate to him more like he is our foster dad, and we're Peter here, and we deny him, and we think that moments like that get us kicked out of the family or slide us down the table. So let's just finish where we picked up, fam. John 13, verse 1. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. What? He loved them to the end, guys. When Peter threw himself out of that boat and swam ashore and sat next to Jesus, he found that out firsthand. The problem is some of you have yet to jump out of the boat and you have yet to swim to shore, and you're still talking through John, and you need to have that conversation with Jesus alone because you have that deep-rooted insecurity that he's angry at you, that you're not really in the family, that you've, you've, kicked your, you've been kicked out. You've got to do something to earn your way back in. Jumping out of the boat is not earning your way back in. You just need to get close to Jesus to ha- hear his voice and see his eyes. You are kept. Am I kept? Yes. Jesus says, I will love you to the end. So am I clean? Yeah, you're clean. Am I close? Yeah, you're right next to Jesus at the table. Am I loved? Yeah, you're, you're kept to the end. Jesus is bringing you home. Get yourself out of the boat, swim ashore, and spend some time listening to Jesus' voice so that you can be reminded of that every single day. I think Grant's going to come now with the team, and um, as he comes, let me just pray for us. Father, We sang it earlier and you promised, or we heard it in the video, just a quote from John, that if we ask anything according to your name, you will do it. So Father, we want to boldly ask in Jesus' name right now that the people in this room who are struggling with insecurities about being clean, Father, will be given rest today. And for those who are not yet clean, that they would come to you, Jesus, and confess their sin and maybe for the first time experience that cleansing. For those who are fearful about not being close, Jesus, please be present in power and demonstrate how very close they are. Father, for those who have yet to jump out of the boat, maybe they need a push. But Father, you say in your kindness, it's your kindness that draws us home, that draws us to repentance. So Father, I would just ask that in your kindness you would push some of our friends and family out of the boat, point them to Jesus so that they swim close and hear his voice. You promised, Father, that if we ask anything according to your name, according to your will, you would do it. And we pray that you would work for your fame and for the good of all those who are present in these ways. Amen.